God. Beautiful songs linked together. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the little book of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the New Testament, in case you haven't had Bible drills lately. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 1 this morning, read verses 3 through 8. I know we're going to put 3 through 7 on the screen, but I'm going to put that 8th verse in there as well. So when you find Colossians 1, join me in standing as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word. And this is the Word of the Living God. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace in the truth. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly beloved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Now there's a little word there called hope, and uh, that's what we're going to be thinking about today. Uh, I know these have been tough times. Last week I preached on, is it too late for America? And I'm talking major, mainly about spiritually and morally there. And today we're going to be talking about uh, hope for us as individuals in, in tough times. Uh, I like what Hezekiah Walker said. God, he said, if God can't get a blessing through you, he will stop sending blessings to you. Do you realize that when you're blessed, God blesses you to bless others? He doesn't just bless you because you're his favorite child. He loves all of his children. And he blesses us so that in turn, as he has blessed us, we can bless others. So the source of our hope is God. The word hope appears in this passage, but of course, in, uh, later on in chapter 1, where Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, we're reminded that that's the hope that anyone has who wants to go to heaven. It's not what we've done. It's what God did for us in Christ and our becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, being born again, being filled with the Spirit, and becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus. That old hymn says, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Dave Ramsey said, people are afraid of the future, and hopelessness is the problem of the day. So I want to encourage you. Uh, now, there's the democratic hope. What's the democratic hope? The democratic hope is obvious. It's tax more and spend more. And then there's the Republican hope. The Republican hope is tax less and spend less. But my real hope is this, trust and obey God. Amen? Uh, I, I, my hope is not built in Washington, D.C. or Montgomery, Alabama. And it's, I, love, I love the city of Pelham, but my hope is not really in City Hall at Pelham. My hope is in a higher place. It's at the throne of God. Uh, now, America before 1932 had, a, had an attitude. That attitude was, God will take care of you. But since 1932, America has had the attitude that the government will take care of you. It started with Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and I appreciate President Roosevelt. I admire him. Uh, he was president during the Great Recession. He said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. He was elected for four terms. No other president's ever had that. He led us into the early days of World War II, and when victory was in sight, uh, he died probably from the stress of, of running the government during one of the most uh, intense times in the history of our country. And, but uh, he came along with the New Deal. And then later on in my lifetime, I remember LBJ declaring war on poverty. 
I remember when my dad heard that LBJ had declared war on poverty, he said, well, he didn't know that we'd declared war on poverty a long time ago. We'd been fighting it ever since. And most of us are still in that, in that business. We're still fighting the war against poverty. Uh, President Clinton had a theme. Everybody can buy a home. And they did. And many of the homes they bought, they bought for 130% of their value. And then they added another 30% because they wanted to furnish those homes. And then when we had the economic collapse and, uh, in this millennium, uh, those homes, uh, many of them are, are owed more than they're worth. So uh, we've seen that. And then President Clinton uh, said everybody can buy a home. And then President Bush said, let's cut taxes. Now we have President Obama who says, let's raise taxes. But I want you to understand this. Only God can help us, and he won't help us unless we call on him. You realize he didn't answer Jonah until Jonah called on him from the whale's belly. You think you've been in some hard places before. You've never been in a whale's belly unless you're Jonah. And uh, he cried to God from the belly of the whale. Uh, There's a lot of people who need to call on God, but they're too proud to call on him. And then notice the course of hope is obedience. An old statement says, where God guide, God provides. And this is depicted in the Old Testament in the people of Israel in the wilderness. God provided them with a cloud by day to give them shelter from the intense heat of the sun. He provided them with a fire by night uh, to protect them from anything that would happen to them in night in the darkness. He gave them manna every morning and on the day before the Sabbath gave them a double portion and that was the only day that you could actually gather more than one portion and it would actually keep because they could not work on the Sabbath day. So he gave them manna. Uh, The Bible also tells us that he gave them wealth from Egypt that they used to build the tabernacle, not to spend on themselves, but they used it to build the tabernacle. And this amazes me. They walked for 40 years every day on some of the roughest terrain on the face of the earth and their shoes never wore out. What do you think would happen to you if you tried to walk for 40 years on the same pair of shoes, even on pavement and even on concrete and things like that? I would imagine your shoes would wear out, uh, but God provided for them their shoes never wore out for 40 years. So here's the course. First of all, yield your life to God. God has a sovereign plan for your life. The God-blessed life begins with faith and continues in obedience. If you're not saved today, let me tell you, you're living beneath your privilege. God loves you. God sent his son to die on the cross for you. The Bible says, whosoever will may come to the Savior. I believe that. As long as whosoever's in the Bible, I'm going to believe that. And and I believe that anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. I don't believe God will ever turn away a sinner who's repentant and comes to call on faith in Jesus Christ. I believe God will save anybody if they'll come to him by faith. So yield your life to God. Then secondly, obey God's rules. Work hard and set priorities. Uh, I have become a fan of Duck Dynasty. Uh, I, I have a shirt that says happy, happy, happy on it. And I love to wear my happy, happy, happy shirt. Uh, uh, one of my favorite characters is Uncle Si. I just love Uncle Si. And by the way, if Uncle Si ever gets sick and needs replacement, Neil Blackwelder could be Uncle Si. With, uh, if y'all want to put Neil in the movie as Uncle Si, uh, he, he's sitting right over here. He, and uh, he and Uncle Si are kindred spirits. But uh, I, I love Duck Dynasty. And Duck Dynasty has priorities. They say that their priorities are faith, family, and ducks. 
And uh, believe it or not, they have literally made millions of dollars off of ducks. But they always say faith comes first and then family and then ducks. Obey God's rules. Get your life in priority. I'm going to say this, and some people are going to get mad, but I'll get over it, and I hope they will. But uh, let, let me tell you, when you put something before God, it becomes an idol. It doesn't matter what it is. It may be something good, uh, and it concerns me. We have a lot of young families that have children, and they want the very best for these children, and so they get them involved in all kind of extracurricular activities like dance and cheerleading and, and baseball and softball, and I'm all for that. My kids played ball all the way through school. My oldest son played ball yesterday. Had no business playing ball yesterday, but he played ball yesterday. He's 38 years old, still thinks he's 18, and loves to play ball. But, but let me say this. That's okay as long as it doesn't take you out of church. When you put something before church, you're putting something before God. And I'm talking about we have families that sign up for these things, and they know their kids are going to be out of church for weeks and weeks and weeks. I am afraid that their priorities are messed up because I think the Bible says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together And obviously, this was a problem in the early church. It says, as the manner of some is, it was even prevalent in the early church. I'm just saying that. Young parents, you need to make sure your children know what your priorities are. And and you know how you can tell what your priorities are? What you spend your time and your money doing. That tells you what your priorities are. Obey God's rules. And then live to give. I love what Jesus said. He said, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You need to learn the blessings of a giving lifestyle. One of the the things that I love to do is to give. I love to give. And I love to give to causes I believe in. And and it's been a a blessing since we went through Financial Peace University. God has freed up more money. We're giving more money now to Christian causes than we've ever given to in our life. And we're enjoying it. And we're being blessed because God has enabled us to give. Now, here are some very quick survival steps for these days. First of all, acknowledge that God owns it all. You see, if you acknowledge that God owns it all, God becomes your source, not your job, not the government. Uh, Next month in May... I will turn 65, and I will get that thing that I have been looking forward to for so long, my Medicare card, Plan A. I've already sent my information in. I found out there was a problem because somebody sometime registered me as Mike E. Shaw. Now, my mother never called me Mike E. Shaw. I've never been called Mike E. Shaw. Uh, I signed my name uh, as my official signature, Michael E. Shaw, And many times I just sign it Mike Shaw, but I've never been Mikey Shaw. Guess what I get to do? I get to go to, I don't have to, but I get to go to the Social Security office and straighten that out. And I get to carry my birth certificate, my driver's license to prove to them that I am who I say I am. But get this, every day for the next 10 years or so, 10,000 baby boomers a day will turn 65. I rejoiced. I said, at least I'm not going to be lonely when I'm standing in line in the Social Security office. 9,999 other people. You say, well, don't you want that? Listen, I want Social Security. I paid into it. I'm not going to draw it until I'm 66, but I'm going to do what the government tells me I need to do. But I want to tell you this. My hope is not based on Social Security. 
My base, my hope is based on eternal security in my relationship to God through his son, Jesus Christ. He will take care of me because I acknowledge that God owns it all. Secondly, bring your tithe into the storehouse. Uh, if you do those two things, God is going to bless you. And then follow simple steps. And what this is, basically, this is a crash course in Financial Peace University. Now, I really want you to take the whole course because you'll get it much better there. But these are just the simple steps. First of all, begin to set aside $1,000 in an emergency fund after you have tithed and paid your bills. Now, some of you are going to say $1,000. You might as well say a million dollars. And I know that looks like a lot of money. But guess what? Every journey begins with one step. Every journey begins with one step. Doesn't matter where you end up, you're going to start with that first step. Take this on as a project. Tithe, pay your bills, and pray about God leading you how to spend the other money, and then set aside at least $1,000 in an emergency fund. When you do that, then concentrate on paying off your loans and credit card debt, starting with the smallest. You say, why shouldn't I start with the biggest? Because you'll get discouraged. It'll take you a lot longer to pay off the biggest. Start with the smallest. Pay it off. And, and when you pay it off, celebrate. If you need to find a second source of income, be diligent and cut spending on non-essentials. You know, this is the me generation. I want it. I deserve it. I'm going to get it. Whether I can afford it or not has nothing to do with it. Folks, I want to tell you, we buy a lot of stuff we don't need. And then we go rent storage buildings to store the stuff we don't need. And then we pay rent on the storage buildings for the stuff we don't need. And we bought that stuff because we wanted to impress people who don't like us anyway. And then we end up spending all the money on the storage fees to buy the stuff to impress people who don't like us anyway. That's ridiculous. Celebrate the payment, the retirement of everybody. I want to tell you, there's going to come a day in this church. And Paula, we're going to sing the hallelujah chorus. And when that $8 million debt is gone, we're going to sing the hallelujah course, and we'll never get in debt again. In fact, we're not going to increase the debt. Uh, we are in debt-paying mode, and that's what we're going to be focusing on. We've been doing that, and the debt has come down. At one time, it was between probably 12 and $13 million. It's down to just eight. I feel better already. You know, I really do. Uh, we're, we're making progress. We have the right attitude. Missions first, and then the debt, and then everything else we do. God will bless that. And then you'll begin the debt reduction snowball effect, and you'll be amazed at how God will work in your life. I went through my Dave Ramsey book, and I pulled out these quotes just to encourage. I love these. The diligent will prosper over time with discipline. You say, is that in the Bible? Probably somewhere, not worded like that. Uh, but I'm sure the, the, the theme of that is in the Bible. The diligent will prosper over time with discipline. And I love this. If you sow stupid, you reap desperate. The Bible says you uh, reap what you sow. If you sow stupid, you reap desperate. And I love this. God's way always works 100% of the time. That's pretty good. I wish I'd thought of that. God's way always works 100% of the time. And then this one, and that's why I titled this message, National Recovery or Personal Survival. If you fix families and individuals, you fix the economy. That's simple. If you fix families and individuals, you fix the economy. You say, preacher, that's too simple. You know, most things that work are simple. For example, salvation. Now, I know, I know, I cannot explain salvation to you. I don't know why the God who made this universe loves us and sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. I, 
I, I don't understand that. I'm not smart enough to understand that. But if you'd be truthful, you're not smart enough to understand that either. But I do know this. It's very simple. God says, you realize you're a sinner and you're convicted of your sin. You turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ and trust Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as your hope for salvation. Not the church, not good works, not even reading the Bible, but you put your faith and trust in the grace of Jesus Christ to save you. You will be saved. That's simple. It's so simple. The Bible says if you can drink water, you can be saved. You can eat bread, you can be saved. You can accept a gift, you can be saved. It's simple. Now, after you get saved, it requires diligence and perseverance to become a disciple. But it's so simple. Even little children can get saved. I was preaching in revival in Memphis, Tennessee. And it was senior adult night. And the senior adults had been, invite, had been asked to invite their friends who didn't attend church the revival. And Brother Paul, they did it. I was amazed. We had more unchurched senior adults in that service than any service I've ever been in. And I preached a very simple gospel message. When the invitation was given about two-thirds of the way back in the sanctuary, I saw an elderly man stand up, and I saw a little boy step out in the aisle with him and take him by the hand. And I, I figured that's either his granddaddy or his great-granddaddy. And that little boy led that man down the aisle. You know why that little boy led that man down the aisle? Because he was nearly blind, and he couldn't see how to come. When he got down, he told the pastor, he said, Pastor, I've needed to do this for a long time. But tonight, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. This man was in his 80s, and he got saved. He heard a simple message about the most wonderful thing in the world, God's wonderful plan of salvation, and he simply received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. We baptized him the next night. I can count on one hand the number of people over 65 Years, age, years of age, I've seen baptized. But that man was one of them. You see, you're never too old and you're never too young to trust God. And that's the message. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Are you trusting Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that when the world is in chaos and turmoil and there's even chaos and turmoil in our country, you promised that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Father, I pray we'd realize that there may not be a national recovery, but you promised to your children you'll never leave them, you'll never forsake them. And we're grateful, Lord, that when we do what you tell us to do and apply your rules that you've showed us in the Bible by the power of the Holy Spirit to our life. You bless us and you bless us to bless others. And Father, I pray if there's someone here today like that man in Memphis, Tennessee, they'll come today giving their heart to Jesus. I pray, Lord, if there's someone here that needs a church home, they'll come to unite with this fellowship today. I pray, Lord, if there, if there are those who have been wandering away from you, that they'll come today and make things right in the altar and determine not to be a far-off follower like Simon Peter was the night of the crucifixion, but to become a follower of Jesus Christ, walking in his footsteps, going where he leads, depending on what he gives us, and trusting him to see us safely home when our life on earth is over. Now, Father, speak during this time of invitation. 
I pray for hearts and lives and families to be changed today, Lord. You are in the changing, life-changing, family-changing, America-changing business. Let it begin here today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing our hymn invitation, Paula. Hymn 596. 596, all, I surrender all. As we stand, as we sing, I'm going to ask the staff to come. I'm going to ask you to come as we sing. You come right now. Step out in the aisle and come. Don't wait.